Welcome to Africa LSV podcast, the monthly podcast for language services in Africa, where we go trends, translation, interpretation, localization, and language industry in general. This podcast is presented by Bolingo Communications and Media Council and hosted by the wonderful Adina Maran Kulibali. If you want to give the feedback or feature on the podcast, just send us an email at the address info at bilingualconsult.com. This podcast is supported by Multilingual, your go-to source for language industry news since 1987. Welcome to yet another episode of Africa's LSP podcast. My name is Adi Namaran Kulibali, and I am the host of this podcast dedicated to the language services industry in Africa. For this episode, we're having a conversation with Christine Pelt, a West African languages consultant and a translator and interpreter for Creole, which is a national language in Sierra Leone. Essentially, we're delving into the world of African languages and all that these entail. There are over 2,000 languages spoken on the continent, and in that sea of languages which are constantly evolving, it sometimes can get overwhelming for organizations that seek to localize their content into those languages. And so, the objective of this episode is to provide insight into this particular area. Christine, welcome to Africa's LSP podcast. I am super excited to have you here with me. Please introduce yourself, and while you're at it, don't forget to introduce yourself in Creole as well. Thank you, Adi, as well as thank you for your invitation to join you today. I've really been looking forward to it. Um, yes, as you said, my name is Christine Peltz. Um, I would say I'm really a, a teacher by profession, but a linguist by passion. And if you haven't heard of Sierra Leone Creole, that's okay, because as you mentioned, 2,000 languages on the continent, but more than 880 languages just in West Africa alone. So for the Creole parts, yes, and me now one translate away they talk for the Creole language, and I really gladi pass mark for the wetuna today. So that's the Creole side. <laughs> wow, <laughs> very interesting. Thank you, thank you for that introduction in Creole. I really, really enjoyed it so much. Um. Let's start with talking about Creole itself. Is it a group of languages and can we know the number of speakers and also its popularity in Sierra Leone? Is it spoken in formal settings or only informal settings? Yeah, what's really interesting, um, as you mentioned before, funnily enough, English is still the national language of Sierra Leone. Although Creole is definitely a language, um, by the fact that it has a grammatical structure, um, it has native speakers, it has a vowel system, and it's used not only in ordinary interaction, but it's also used in legal, medical settings, and for business. Of the entire population of Sierra Leone, let's say six million, um, I would say five million of them speak Creole and use it on a regular basis especially in Freetown, where many people no longer speak their vernacular. So yes, it's, it's definitely a language in its own right. And we see more and more things being translated into Creole, which makes us very happy. So is it a language that is taught in schools as well? 
Yes, actually, I've just had a look at the 2020 curriculum for um, Creole school system, the Sierra Leone school system. It is taught from class one through what we call in Sierra Leone JSS3, which for probably the UK would be year one to year eight. So let's say between five and 13 year olds learn to read and write Creole as well. Hmm, that's interesting. And so are there um, other official languages in Sierra Leone? Yes, there are 18 languages in total. Of those languages, the most, uh, the largest, what makes up the largest uh, ethnic minority groups would be Mende, Timini, and Limba. And I could also add now Fula, or what we call Pular, as well in the country. Although there is a lot less work in translation and interpreting in those languages. That's interesting. When you were speaking, uh, when you were int introducing yourself in, in Creole, I could hear a lot of English words, and it sounded a bit also like the West African pigeon, or let me say Nigerian pigeon. So what is the nature of, of Creole? So there are many views about how Creole came about and how it came to exist today as a language. Uh, some would say that Creole has its origins from contact with Europeans, so the typical known colonial languages like Portuguese, French, and English. However, another view is also that Creole emerged from a variety of languages that were used by people who were resettled in Sierra Leone in the 1780s. So that, that means things like Jamaican Creole, even Yoruba, Igbo, Akan. So we can say between the 16th and 19th century is when Creole really started to develop as a language. And that is what differentiates it from pigeons in that it is used not just in ordinary interaction, but it does have a very strong structure. And because it's used in legal and business settings, that's why we, we kind of define it as more of a language even than pidgin. Although, like you said, we'll hear a lot of English too. And so how did your relationship with Creole start? Like, how did you start um, speaking the language and even going into interpretation and translation? Yeah, the, I first came into contact with Creole actually in the United States. I was living in Columbus, Ohio. There is a large population of Sierra Leoneans that came there during the, the Civil War in Sierra Leone. And so I first was introduced to it there, even the very uh, housing community that I lived in, I had the opportunity to meet with uh, some Sierra Leoneans. I never really started to learn the language though at that time. Surprisingly enough, I found myself in Sierra Leone two years later. In 2007, um, I uh, lived in Sierra Leone, actually uh, in the rural area in the second city of Bo, and that's where I started to learn the language for three months. Um, an older gentleman who, who taught us a lot of cultural things, uh, proverbs as well, which were fascinating, and that's when it started. And I ended up kind of by accident becoming an interpreter for other NGOs and other organizations that were coming uh, to provide medical aid. For example, I found myself then serving as interpreter between uh, Creole speakers and French speakers or English speakers. You work more in the field of humanitarian assistance then? Yes, actually my role was a teacher. So I was there as a teacher uh, mentoring young people in the country as well and assisting them with reading and writing skills, 
unfortunately, that at the time was in English and not in Creole. Only later then did we switch that to also incorporate teaching Creole reading and writing. Um, but yes, so a lot of it was education-based. Great. Thank you so much for the, the information you've given us about Creole, and it's really captivating. You've done well. Thank you, Eddie. <laughs> So let's talk about African languages in general. We know that there are lots of organizations that are seeking to localize their contents into African languages. And also because of the growth of uh, information and communication technologies, uh, more and more organizations are seeking to target African users. And so we see a lot of localization into African languages. What do you think organizations should bear in mind when they first think about localization into any African language? I would say before anyone even starts to decide what they should localize, they should think about internationalization. So whatever product, service, whatever that they would like to market means that they need to know the people first. You know, so they need to get to know, for myself, I can only really speak about West Africa. That is my, my specialization. So that means, for example, in West Africa, 40% or two out of every five people are under the age of 15. So a lot of the, the target audience is going to be very young people. So they, they need to be aware of what access uh, young people at that age, what access do they have to the internet? What access do they have to a smartphone? How are they going to even learn about a product or service? Uh, what percentage of them have a television? Or is radio going to be the medium? So that's one, I think, big thing is looking at the demographic. Um, other things that they need to, to keep in mind is as well uh, cultural sensitivities, obviously what's considered decent yeah, in some places is really very different in another. So what is, is considered appropriate, what is considered offensive, um, yeah, being, being aware first, taking all of that in, because obviously we know that language is about people. There's a technical side to it as well, but first and foremost, it is about getting to know and communicate with people. And if that is not possible that someone in a corporation is, is, is thinking of localizing that they can't physically go there to really take in the culture and, and see firsthand what things look like and what is appealing to people there. Then they have to rely on the experts and professionals who are in the field, who are on the ground there and take advantage of the people resources that they have. So that's what I would start off to say. Do you think they should also take into account the evolving nature of this language because they it seems like they're always changing and then we also have new languages coming up? Yeah, that's true. Definitely. As especially from the technical side. So when we're talking about telecommunications or if we're talking about fintech, most definitely. Uh, these languages are going to continue to evolve and in either have to adopt the English word, or they're going to have to utilize an explanation of that word in their own language, where they might lack one word for that. So definitely, but they shouldn't shy away from that. You know, this is, they should be aware of whether or not 
this group of people wants to incorporate the English or the French term, or if they would prefer to develop their own uh, way of referring to a particular technical term or a process. And this is something that you need local people to help with and to educate us about. Mm. All right. So what has been your, your experience so far with localization into African languages with um, clients and also with working with linguists? So on the one hand, working with clients, there's a big, uh, big gap. Uh, recently, I did a localization project for e-learning. They would really like to push e-learning into West Africa, which is very practical considering many rural areas. A lot of young people don't have access to anything besides primary school. So I was really excited to work, work with this project. And I received the curriculum and how they wanted this, this project to go. And, and it was going to be also voiceover, taking into consideration the literacy level as well, which was all very good. However, when I received the script, I realized the language was very, wow, I, I would put it almost at university level. I, I would think that a, a UK child would have had a very difficult time even understanding this kind of language. So what we realize is that many times we have to take this script and we have to put it into what's called plain English. And this has become something that's quite common as part of the internationalization and localization process. So we have to put it into plain English first before ever we can start to translate it. So we can put it into a, a, a format that isn't too intimidating and that we can have a diverse population of young people who could actually benefit from it. So I'd say there's this, there's definitely a gap between really understanding the education level and how education works in West Africa as well. Um, and that just makes the process longer. Um, as far as working with linguists, yeah, I have had excellent experience working with linguists. Um, there are many very uh, eager, uh, willing young linguists who have a great deal of experience in their own vernacular languages. And sometimes what they lack is the tools, but they don't lack the drive and the motivation. Um, and they have also, because they're on the ground, they have access to to many people who who could even share with them books that were written in their vernacular that they might otherwise not have access to and this to be honest what what i lack in paper resources i more than make up for in people resources so i've been really happy with with the linguist i've had the chance to work with all right so um going back to talk about the development aspect of what you do how has being a creole translator interpreter helped you to actually support such activities within the development field? Yeah, um, definitely being a, a translator for what is considered a low resource language um, has been challenging, but at the same time, very rewarding because of developments such as e-learning. Another big thing that's coming to the fore now is mental health. And it's something that we've seen a big need for for a very long time, but it was never really given proper attention either here in Europe um, from people who, who were leaving the continent to come here and seek a better life and also in Sierra Leone itself. And so I've really had the opportunity to reach out to a lot of people who are putting a tremendous amount of work into mental health, reestablishing a mental health hospital again in Kissy and Freetown, Sierra Leone, 
And that gives me a great deal of satisfaction. Um, sometimes it is necessary to sit down and really think about how we are going to identify a certain term, terminology that has never really existed in Creole, how we're going to, to do that now. Um, and not just terminology itself, but also in general, how do you help somebody um, from a particular cultural background who has faced a lot of trauma, be it war, Ebola, or other things, how do you reach them? Because we don't use the same techniques that we might use for someone from the UK. And to help a mental health professional to bridge that gap so that they can really help their patient, but using different techniques than they would with a patient who's, who's from Europe. You spoke about the issue of terminology. Uh, we know that a lot of African languages are largely oral and uh, do not have extended technical vocabulary. So what is the, the contribution of localization in the growth of African languages? Can it actually contribute to helping us expand these terminologies? Most definitely. Most definitely. And I think there are many uh, professors in linguistics departments in, in different universities. I know definitely for the Foro Bay University in Freetown, the linguistics department has been really essential in standardizing the spelling of Creole. For a long time, there were many different ways to spell the language. There was nothing standardized. But now, since 1996, there is actual standard way to spell the language. Um, and this really allows now for the language to grow and develop, especially when we're speaking of technical terms or medical terms, things that perhaps just the English word was used before, but now the general population can become more familiar with the appropriate terminology in their own language in Creole. And this, of course, adds to keeping the language alive. Um, that's what we want to see. There are so many languages that are, are dying in, in Africa, and this is something that makes us very sad. We want to see the language continue to live, but it has to move forward and continue to grow for that to happen. So the more localization we have, then the more possibility that it won't just stay a language of, let's say, a, a limited vocabulary that's focused around mining or something like this that actually extracts from the country, but that at the same time, we're giving something back as well as, mm -hmm. as growing this vernacular. Mm. And how do you see um, Africans themselves interacting with local languages? For instance, in, in India recently, I heard about an app, which is almost like Twitter, and that is uh, mainly into a local language of India. Uh, however, when we go on the internet, we see Africans interacting more and more in, in Western languages like English, French, and, and the others. So how do you see the use of African languages by Africans themselves? Is it increasing? Is it reducing? Yeah, that's a very good question, Addy. Um, I think what what we as localizers and translators and interpreters, we need to, to get across to people who speak low resource languages or what is defined as low resource language at the moment to help them have a little bit of pride in their language. Sometimes languages like Creole or it could be Timini or it could be Pigeons are seen as well, those are languages of people who are uneducated, which is not the case at all. So by giving more impetus and more attention to these languages, we also raise the esteem of that language in local people to help them take some pride in that language and to see it's worthwhile to learn to read and write it well. 
Um, I would love to see those kinds of initiatives in West Africa as well. Um, and I think it, the possibility exists for sure, but it's empowering them to realize that there, there would be a need um, as well as a desire to have that kind of platform where they could communicate back and forth in uh, Fula or Pular or Creole or, or Soninke or any of these, of these kinds of languages. Yeah, I think that would be fabulous um, to see something like that maybe in West Africa as a whole. Mm. And I agree with you because even in, in some countries, um, when uh, students speak their local languages in, in school, they are reprimanded you know, for speaking the local languages and um, actually advised to speak more of the Western languages. And so it's, it's important to actually um, create pride mm-hmm. in these languages. And, and so going back to the issue of localization, as a West African language consultant, when clients come to you and, and ask you about how they can localize their content into these West African languages, what are some of the insights that you give? Yeah, I usually ask them right away, where exactly? What is the content? What is it they would like to do? Because before they ever start to to focus on a particular country or particular language, to try and help them see that perhaps the content that they have can be used for a diverse culture. You know, what they develop could be used in Liberia, Sierra Leone, Guinea, and Gambia. And so I like to ask them to take a look at that first, um, taking into context belief systems, colors, um, the medium or platform that they want to use as well. So first we look at that to see if it can be broad based. And if so, then are we avoiding, what are we avoiding? Uh, Looking at dress, customs when it comes to dress, uh, customs when it comes to how they want to depict uh, women or children in their particular advertisement or uh, learning platform or telecommunications ad, whatever that might be. And just to make sure that they have a good understanding. And that's one thing that I often find is missing. They haven't done a lot of their their own research. But so we look at those things and then also try to, to understand, can there be something in a local setting? Have they thought about that? Something that's general enough, but that Um, people from three or four different countries could relate to, you know, whether it's something symbolic or, yeah, color or whether it's fabric that can can cross more than one country and be a little bit diverse. So we discuss a lot of things like that, as well as language uh, style, too, because obviously if we're talking about several different languages for, let's say, perhaps that they want to put it into Creole, and then they're thinking of putting it into Pular or maybe Soninke. So we're looking at these languages that at least some of those languages are coming from the same family, which is good because and that means some of the syntax and some of the, the way these languages are developed will be similar. And then perhaps we can really localize for more than one country. So that's one of the things we kind of start with as a basis. Some African languages have um, different language varieties um, that are spoken and so if a client wants to localize into, a, into an African language that has different uh, language varieties what will be the basis of you know the, the selection of a particular language is it the number of speakers is it because a particular language is actually the original language from which the other language is developed what can be some of the considerations for that 
Yeah, that's a very good question. And that is a, is always going to be, yeah, a question. For example, if you take a language from a tribe as large as Fula or Fulani, which covers a great diversity of countries, so widespread, you know, you're talking from Cameroon all the way up north through Mali and Mauritania, uh, and you're going to have many different dialects spread across these. That's yeah, that that's just obvious. So in order to keep in, in mind budget constraints, time as well, then there have been some projects to test which type of Fula language, Pular, is most accepted and which one people gravitate to. So I know of one project where Senegal set up uh, a web page with Pular, and then Guinea also set up their own web page with their own version of Pular. Interestingly enough, after a few months' time, Senegal pulled their web page because they found it got much fewer hits than the one in Guinea. Even people from Senegal were gravitating to the Pular that was being used in Guinea. And it's tests like that that will be necessary, although it might seem counterproductive as far as time goes, but in the end, it's going to be much more productive because now they know the Pular that's spoken in Guinea is the one to use, which will reach a much wider audience. Wow, that's a great example. And it's, it's really interesting how it's not easy to actually, you know, know from the, from the onset what language um, variety should be used. And so I think the idea of the test is really, really great. Uh, and so as we are wrapping up, any further comments, uh, suggestions to the localization industry in general, and anything else you'd like to share with us? Mm, there would still be many things to share. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> as far as, um, you know, anybody who's listening, who's, who's thinking even of doing localization and who's looking at the continent of Africa and thinking, where do I start? This is so big. And we know that's what makes a lot of people shy away or back off a little bit because they don't exactly know where to start. But I remember um, a good friend of mine uh, once was telling me that for sure we should never go to Africa with the idea of changing something. I said, if you want to, you can stand in front of a moving train, but it will just run you over. So much better to get on and enjoy the ride and see where it takes you. So if we have to set in mind what we want to accomplish, then yes, we likely will be disappointed because that should never be the purpose is to change things. But it should be go in, see everything, look at everything, say little and change nothing. And that is the way to be successful, to see what is it that the people want. We are there to provide a service. We are there to provide a product. So we need to see what is it that they want and then adjust accordingly. And if you do that, then I think definitely, uh, whether it's a corporation, whether it's an NGO, they will definitely see a way into this very large market that is, is ready. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you so much for these beautiful insights that you've given us. Um, I really, really appreciate the conversation. It's, it's been very rich, um, very, very interesting, and uh, hopefully would like to have you again some other time to talk more about African languages and everything that uh, these entail. Thank you too, Eddie. I really enjoyed chatting with you.
we invite you to go to multilingual.com slash Africa LSP to receive a free one-year digital subscription to Multilingual Magazine. You can also find this link in the podcast description.